All right, and we are live. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Friday. What a what a great day Friday is, right? Anyway, wow, these lights are really bright. Um, so I'm a little bit late. How late am I? Two minutes? Well, that is because, oh, man, hey, we have a special guest, Aston. <laughs> How you doing, buddy? I literally just gave you some snacks so you can leave. <laughs> I know you guys like him, but he's very distracting when I'm trying to do the show. Um, so the other day, I ordered some incredibly expensive coffee. Um, I ordered something called Kona Extra Fancy. That's like the highest grade Kona coffee you can get. And I also ordered something called Jamaican Blue Mountain Coffee, which is supposed to be some of the best, some of the most expensive coffee in the world. So I ordered this coffee, the beans, right? And I ground them up and I made two, two things of coffee, right? One of each. And I love Kona coffee. I have this specific brand that I buy. It's, it's a kind of an artificial Kona. It's an artificial Hawaiian tasting coffee, but it's also got hazelnut in it, right? It's called Hawaiian hazelnut. And it's from a distributor out here in LA called Don Francisco. I don't know if this is a conservative company or leftist company or whatever. They don't sponsor my show or anything. So I'm just saying this because I figured if you guys drink black coffee, that you know, you might want to know about this. So this is my favorite coffee, this Don Francisco Hawaiian hazelnut. It's the only coffee outside of like hazelnut Kona blends that you actually can like, you know, that you can buy that are pretty, pretty nice. But this coffee, even though it's like kind of artificially flavored or whatever, absolutely fantastic. If you look on Amazon, everybody's just like, this is the greatest coffee I've ever had in my life. It's it's the only coffee I like to drink black, and I and you know I drink black coffee. I drink that stuff black. But then I thought, well, let's just get some fresh ground beans and see if it's better. So I ground my own coffee, and I can equivocally say it is not better. <laughs> Although I would say that if I if I were required to drink black coffee, that was fresh ground beans, I would definitely go with the. Um, Jamaican Blue Mountain. And this is very sad for me to say because I love Hawaii. Like I've Valeria and I just went to Hawaii for the first time in our lives uh last year. My best friend lives in Hawaii. Really an amazing, beautiful, fantastic place. But at least the batch of beans that I got from each, the uh Hawaiian coffee was a bit bitter and didn't have any kind of sharpness or acidity whereas the you guys don't care about this, but I'm going to say it anyway. The the Jamaican Blue Mountain had no bitterness and just a hint of acidity, which made it really nice. Um, and then when I was done with the testing, I just mixed them all together, and, and this is what I got out. <laughs> but I have to say that both of the coffees were actually quite excellent. But the but the but the uh, Jamaican Blue Mountain, which is the more expensive coffee, is actually worth the price. I would say, which I don't like. I liked I like to find that oh that super expensive coffee is actually just crap. But in this case, that's not true. It is actually really good. Um, but I I think it's the hazelnut. It must be the hazelnut that makes coffee black coffee tolerable. I'm not really sure. But anyway, if you want good coffee, cheap Don Francisco. Hawaiian hazelnut in the tin, pre-ground, amazing. Mm. Daniel J. Korica says, happy birthday to me. 
Here's five bucks forcing the GTA online lobby to listen to you. <laughs> I don't know what the GTA online lobby is. I'm thinking Grand Theft Auto. Um, but thank you, Daniel Corka, and happy birthday, sir. That's fantastic. Daniel is, of course, one of our our favorite uh, people here on Mr. on Mr. Reagan on toxic masculinity. Uh, Valeria reads his comments just about every day, and sadly, once again. Valeria is not with us. Valeria has gone to a better place. <laughs> uh, a set uh, for a commercial out in Hollywood. She's working with a famous actress, and she's, yeah, it's fun. It's good fun for her. She's enjoying it. Um, she comes home every day super exhausted, though, so I'm not sure she is enjoying it. She was enjoying it when she first started doing it. She's like, everybody's treating me like a princess. It's fantastic. The world's great. And now she's just like, I'm working too much. This is killing me. So I also lost some money on Robin Hood. Let me explain why. So um, Dogecoin is going up right now. Okay, today and yesterday it's been going up. It's doing pretty dang well, actually. And I was using the Robin Hood app, which we don't actually use the Robin Hood app. I should have jumped out there. Uh, we don't usually use the Robinhood app. We use other apps to trade uh, crypto. But I just threw some money in one day when I saw that Robin. Uh, when I saw that crypto uh, Doge was going up. I just threw a bunch of money in. And he, so here's the thing: I kind of messed up a little bit. I was I started to try to buy and sell, buy the peaks and sell the dips. I'm uh, sorry, that, reverse that. Sell the sell the peaks and buy the dips. I was buying the dips, selling the peaks, and what what I was doing, I was doing it wrong. See, because I don't really do this. My my wife does it. So I was just buying and selling at market value. And if you're going to do this, you can't do that. You have to set limits. You have to say, buy it at this price, sell it at that price. But what was happening was I was setting limits. And then for some reason, I'm not really sure why, the Robinhood app was missing the sells and the buys. I would like, buy at this limit. And it would... And it would you know, hit the limit that I was supposed to sell by. Yeah, I'm flying solo again. Yes, Kurt's asking me if I'm flying solo again. Uh, uh, give me a second. Yes. Okay. Uh, I would say, okay, sell at whatever it was, 40 cents. Sell at 40 cents. If it hits 40 cents, sell. And it would hit like 40 cent, 40.1 or something like that, and then dip again. But it didn't, it didn't sell. It didn't sell my crypto. I'm like, the hell's going on? So... As it's coming down, I would sell at market price, thinking, well, I'll just catch it on the way down. But then it would sell at like, you know, 0.36 or something like that. It would sell at like a ridiculously low price compared to what I was trying to sell it at. And so then I'm trying to buy the dip, but I actually sold it at a lower price than the dip. Don't buy and sell at market price. Always set limits. That's what I learned. So I lost 80 bucks yesterday. <laughs> When I was twice trying to buy and sell, and I used the market price thing instead of the limit that don't anyway don't do that. Anyway, we're getting into the sort of the weeds here of buying crypto on uh, on Do uh, on uh, Robinhood, which you guys most of you probably don't care about, but I think it's important. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. Doge is at thirty three cents, but it actually I think it hit thirty four cents earlier, and I, I you know obviously it hit. Uh, 40 cents earlier, uh, like last month or whatever, or earlier in the month. So, yeah, so it's it's climbing back up. It's climbing back up. Uh, you know, there'll be peaks. There'll be dips. You got to know when to hold them. You got to know when to fold them. 
I don't know the rest of the song, but it's a good song. <laughs> Aston's mad too. I know, buddy. Sorry, I'll I'll get the money back. I promise. All right, guys, let's start the news. Oh, you want to do the intro? Okay. Uh, I forget. You know why? You know why I forget? You know, you know, because we're the least professional show on YouTube. That's right. Toxic masculinity. By the way, can I just say that I have a very good video out right now. If you guys haven't seen the video, I know there's only 35 people here, but if you haven't seen the video I put out this morning, you know what's weird about those um, those videos? The uh, So this is, um, what do you call it? Uh, Epic of Turth video, right? So I, I created a series of fiction stories um, about like Bo Jiden and Donaldus J. Trumpius so that I can talk about things like you know, what happened during the 2020 election and YouTube won't just delete my videos. So it's a way for me to, you know, turn reality into satire and then explain my perspective on it because we're talking about another planet, the planet of Turth. We're not talking about this planet and we're talking about the politicians there. Anyway, Pansy Nelosi, that's a good one. I like that one. Um, anyway, yeah. Good fun. So I, I made up those stories and I and I did a video where I read from the book of the Epic of Turth and a lot of people really loved it and they wanted me to do another one. But I, I, I'm only really interested in doing those if I'm talking specifically about the 2020 election because that's something I have to get around. Um, but then the other day we started this audit in Arizona. And so, okay, so I had to talk about that. All right, so let me do another Epic of Turth. So I did it. And I'm getting I'm getting messages from people who I guess missed the first one, even though the first Epic of Turth video had like 70,000 views, and this one's only got like, I don't know, I don't know how many views it's got now. But um, but I'm getting messages from friends like, dude, that was genius. I'm like, did you not see the first one? <laughs> and I'm getting a lot of people, they love it, they love it. So if you haven't seen the Epic of Turth uh, videos, go ahead and go to Mr. Reagan and watch that after the show. Quite a bit of fun. The leftist seems to be freaking out about this Arizona audit, like, they're definitely going to find something. They're definitely going to find something. And I kind of, you know, basically what I say in the video is, if you're that freaked out, it's a, it's a kind of an indication that you actually think there's something that that is there to be found, right? The, the uh, exclamation from the left is that, oh, people on the right are going to cheat. They're going to, like, somehow... Forget the fact that the whole audit is being live streamed the whole time. <laughs> Everything is being videoed and live streamed. They think there's somehow going to be some kind of funny business and that's going to lend some credibility to, you know, conspiracy theories. I got a conspiracy theories-esque video coming out uh, tomorrow morning, I believe. It's going to be called What is Bluin' On? So watch out for that. I kind of break down this idea that... Uh, conservatives are all conspiracy theorists. We're all QAnon nut conspiracy theorists. You know, you guys want to hear an interesting statistic? More leftists, and not not even by a small margin, but like a significant margin, more Democrats have actually heard of QAnon than conservatives. The They did a study recently, and it showed that 50% of uh, Democrats have never heard of QAnon. But 70% of conservatives have never heard of QAnon. So, 50% of Democrats obviously have heard of QAnon, and only 30% of Republicans have heard of QAnon. Okay, well, that indicates to me that it's not as big of, of a phenomenon as, as the left thinks. But 
where do leftists hear about QAnon? They hear about QAnon from sources that don't like it, that, that, that you know, that criticize it, that, that criticize the right, that criticize conservatives. And anytime anybody's going to criticize a movement on the right, at least, you know, the way that leftists do it, they're going to sort of paint conservatives all with that brush, right? So they, they, they're saying QAnon is evil conspiracy theorists, and all conservatives are QAnon conspiracy theorists, essentially. Or there's a kind of suggestion that, okay, it's only a fringe group, but it it's kind of bleeds into the rest of conservative thought. Look at conservatives, there are such conspiracy theorists. You know, they do the same thing with white supremacy and all that kind of stuff. And when I was looking through all of the different things that the left believes uh, about, say, Trump and conservatives and all this kind of stuff, I realized that the difference between the, the sort of QAnon phenomenon and the what we call now the blue and on phenomenon which is like you know the left's conspiracy theories is that QAnon exists with just within this sort of fringe group but blue and on conspiracy theories are accepted by like every democrat voter right like almost every democrat voter believes that trump and russia colluded in 2016 they they all believe that trump about trump's quid pro quo with russia right uh, when the Jussie Smollett story first broke, they all believed that Jussie Smollett really was attacked by, you know, white MAGA hat wearing Trump supporters, right? I mean, conservatives were all like, ah, this seems a little fishy. Like, even the police chief is like, this is a little fishy. Like, well, I don't know if we should believe this. We're pretty skeptical. The left is like, no, it's true. <laughs> People are going on TV talking about it. Everybody's tweeting about it. It was ridiculous. Covington High School thing, right? The only, you know, there's a couple of people who like to get out in front of these stories, like Greg Gutfeld, people like that, and they'll come out and they'll condemn, they'll, they'll be really quick to condemn conservatives. Um, I'm never quick to condemn conservatives because I'm very skeptical of these news stories whenever they come out, right? I always reserve judgment until the full story is out. Um, I'm, I suppose I'm one of the few people on the right who still thinks that Derek Chauvin was innocent, Right. I mean, I came out from the very beginning and I said, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to say that this what this guy did was murder until I know the full story. Because and, and actually, my my wife was saying like, oh, no, this is obviously murder. They have the video, you know, they have the video of the guy suffocating him and he did die. And I said, yeah, but I've seen so many times that the left has said, oh, this is what happened, and then you get the full body cam footage, and then it shows something else, right? And then we got the full body cam footage. And then we found out that, in fact, that knee-to-the-neck uh, technique to restrain people was, in fact, taught to the Minnesota police officers. So once we started to get all the context, we realized, well, I realized, in fact, this officer didn't maliciously attempt to kill this guy, and probably... And of course, we got the uh, report back that he, you know, he had all this fentanyl in his system and all these other drugs. And it's impossible to know exactly how he, he died, but it's a pretty safe bet to say he died of a drug overdose. So I'm looking at that. I'm saying, OK, he died of a drug overdose. This guy w was restraining him, happened to be restraining him at the time because he had, you know, the guy was trying to resist arrest and all this kind of stuff. And now he's been he's been like convicted of murder which i think is completely insane 
And all these people on Fox and all these conservatives are going, oh, no, 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 no. Like, th- this is justice has been done. Justice has been done. Like, you know, we told all these Black Lives Matter protesters justice would be done. And look, it has been done. I'm like, no, it hasn't. What the hell are you talking about? You know, the Black Lives Matter folks, they pretend, you know, they say, oh, we want justice to be done. But really, they just want whatever they want to be done. They don't really care if it's justice, you know. And you're giving into that crap. I mean, it just pisses me off. And then Greg Greg Gutfeld says, oh. And here's the thing. I love Greg Gutfeld. I think he's got, like, a really great perspective on a lot of stuff. He's very, very smart. But then he comes out and he says, oh, I'm glad that he was found guilty, even if he isn't, because I don't want any more protests. It's like, okay, so Greg Gutfeld just gives into terrorists so that it can be cozy in his little, like, penthouse apartment in Manhattan. And he doesn't have to worry about, like, people trying to burn things down next to him. Like, what an a-hole. I mean, honestly, like, I like Greg Gutfeld, but honestly, that's, like, the most a-hole thing I've ever heard him say. Oh, I, I, you know, oh, that's great. Let let Derek Chauvin rot in prison for the rest of his life because, you know, I don't want to see a KFC burned in my neighborhood. I mean, honestly. Um Well, this guy, Frank James, he says, another way to look at it, if you arrived and saw somebody overdosing, would you kneel on him? Well, the, the problem is, I don't know, you know, the p- police officers aren't medical professionals. They don't necessarily know somebody's overdosing, right? Um, like, when we see overdosing in movies, what do we see? We see people, like, um, throwing up. We see people, like, convulsing, different things like that, yeah? Um, I'm not sure how police are trained to identify an overdose, but I don't think that it was clear to them that the guy was overdosing. I think they just thought he was, like, messed up on drugs and trying to escape arrest. I think that's what they thought. Um, and that and that's the problem. If people just make this assumption that, oh, yeah, uh, cops should know better. Cops should know when somebody's overdosing. Well, they're human. They don't know everything. They don't know everything. Um, I'm not even sure... A medical professional at that moment would have known. I mean, probably, probably. I don't know, though, because I'm not a medical professional. I couldn't tell you. But anyway, let's get to the news. I've been blathering on a little bit too long, I feel like. So let's get to the news. The first story. Oh, you know what? You know what's the problem here? I didn't set this thing up. I did set this thing up. All right. Hold on. One moment, please. Oh, yes, that's right. We're going to talk about aliens. I've never talked about aliens on this show, and I've never given you my perspective. But um, I have titled this story, Cover-Up of UFOs Put Us at Risk, Warns Former Pentagon Official. As you can see, I've modified the uh, title from the New York Post article very, very slightly. (laughs) Um, But I will say this um, about aliens. I don't actually believe in aliens. I've never believed in aliens. I've always thought it was silly. Um, people are going to hate me for saying that. I know a lot of you guys are suddenly jumping on your keyboards going, what the hell's wrong with you? Of course there's aliens. Um, I think it was Carl Sagan who said that, uh, with all the billions of, uh, galaxies, all the billions of planets around all the billions of galaxies throughout the universe, um, you know, there, there's gotta be life on some of them, right? I think he said something like that. I don't paraphrase. I don't remember exactly what he said. But I've always looked it up at that, and I've and I've also heard scientists, physicists, and and uh, astrophysicists, and all, all these kinds of folks talk about the likelihood of our universe even existing at all. <laughs> They're like the the likelihood of our universe existing is so small, you wouldn't even imagine that it's possible. 
And that's why they have this idea of the multiverse, right? That the you know, multiple universes, infinite universes. The, the, the only way they can explain the existence of our universe is with the existence of an infinite number of universes. So there's this idea that that within the scope of reality, I guess, there are an infinite number of universes, and anything you can imagine is true. And I've always thought about that, like, well, if there's an infinite number of universes, and everything you can imagine is true, I can imagine God, right? Humans obviously have imagined God. And so at least in one of those universes, there is a God. And if there's a God, that God can transcend the various universes. And so there, so that indicates, at least logically, that there must, in fact, be a God. So that's, that's, that's a, an interesting argument for the God of the multiverse. Um, so, but anyway, so if, if every, every possibility is true, everything you can imagine in, in, that, then that may, that, that's a good argument for why our universe exists. Because they, they're like, oh, just the chance of our universe existing and there even being such a thing as matter is just beyond the, the scope of possibilities, right? And then within a universe like our own, the possibility of there being a planet that is, uh, that has such a, such a perfect, has such perfect conditions that life could emerge on that planet, um, that seems to be an infinitesimal uh, possibility, like so small that it can't possibly be true. And yet it is true, right? And then for that planet to have developed life that is self-aware and intelligent and is and can perceive that universe that exists, that's also an infinitesimal possibility. So um, you have all these impossibilities, but they turn out to be true. And so because I'm always hearing that from these astrophysicists, I'm always thinking like, well, what are the chances that 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 then happened twice, right? That there's two, there's two races uh, of human, two two beings that are self-aware and are intelligent out there, and one of them happened before us, and that they travel the various galaxies and these super fast spaceships and all this kind of stuff. And a lot of physicists aren't even sure that that uh, travel, you know close to light speed is even possible, much less beyond light speed. Like the concept of traveling beyond light speed, it's not even possible. You'd have to have like wormholes, stuff like that. And people aren't even sure that that kind of stuff is possible. So uh, now we come to this concept of UFOs, which everybody associates with extraterrestrial, you know, alien life and, you know, this hyperintelligence and all this kind of stuff. And so there's this new story out from the New York Post, and it's about an ex-Pentagon dude... Uh, official. I guess this guy was pretty high up. Let's see here. Former intelligence officer, Department of Defense. And this guy, I mean, look at these guys. These guys are exactly what you want when you want to talk about UFOs. You want these guys. <laughs> I don't know who they are. I don't know what they sound like. But just the look of them is perfect. You know, that's what you want. Um, but there's a couple of things I found really fascinating about this story. And it's always fun to talk about aliens, you know. Okay, so let's let's what is a UFO, right? Unidentified flying object. That's what the I think that's what the military used to mean used to say when they were talking about sort of like enemy aircraft that they couldn't identify. Right? And um oftentimes different nations develop new technologies, new aircraft that other people aren't other countries aren't aware of and then you call that what would you call that unidentified flying object, obviously. But then in this in the sort of like um 
somehow within the culture, we started identifying these things with alien spacecraft. Um, I think what this guy's saying is there are alien spacecraft, not just UFOs in, in the sense that like enemy aircraft that we can't identify, but I think what they're talking about here is UFOs, like alien stuff. So let's have a look at this. That even their typeface is like, <laughs> I mean, it's almost like a, 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 a Hollywood movie company made this, like hired these, they, they look like actors in a Hollywood movie uh, to be like uh, alien truthers or something like that. Anyway, UFOs exist, but the government doesn't want you to know it. According to the ex-Pentagon official who says he ran the program investigating unidentified aerial phenomenon, or UAP, recalling the revel... Uh, revelatory instant when he recognized that UFOs were bona fide. Controversial whistleblower uh, Louis Lou Elizondo. I actually know a guy named Elizondo out here in Hollywood, but he is a Democrat and he would kill me if he knew I was mentioning his name on the show, so I won't. <laughs> yeah, anyway. I used to work over at Warner Brothers and uh, I have a lot of friends in the film industry from that, film and TV and stuff like that, but uh, yeah, I probably shouldn't mention them on the show. <laughs> Uh, however, Elizondo has not been able to get the feds to act on what he describes as a serious national security risk due to a litany of roadblocks, um, including a cover-up of the existence of UFOs because of religious objections, concerns over tarnishing uh, its own reputation, and fears of inciting public panic. So this is what really I thought was really fascinating. Religious objections. I'm like, that's weird. What religious objections? So he goes on to talk about um, these... Uh, Tic Tac, the, the new Tic Tac footage and how, oh, this is definitely like real and there's all these like UFOs and I'm trying to talk to Mattis and nobody will take me seriously and all this kind of stuff. And, um, but then the what he's talking about, about the religious stuff, I, I thought was fascinating. So let's scroll down here to the religious stuff because that stuff is a bit weird. Um, blah, 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 blah. All right. The satanic reason unexplained phenomena were were suppressed. So this is very interesting to me. Just the, just if this is true, just the idea that there are people in government who don't want to talk about UFOs because they're, they basically think it's like Satan. <laughs> I mean, maybe it is. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know really much about this stuff. All right. So they, the, this uh, article, whoever they wrote this article writes, uh, the presence of highly intelligent life, possibly more advanced than humans, would be huge news. Elizondo, who expresses a belief that the impending release of upcoming UFO uh, of the upcoming UFO document, even though he is not privy to its contents, knows all about federal reticence on this matter. Elizondo quit his Pentagon job in frustration over authorities being unwilling to even entertain the possibility of UFOs, referencing why his superiors refused to believe his boss at the time, General Mattis. Elizondo said. Sorry. Refused to brief his boss at the time. I, I don't read so good. Uh, General Mattis, Elizondo said, uh, they were probably worried about tarnishing Mattis if it came out that he was briefed on UFOs. Well, that actually doesn't make any sense. I don't agree with that at all. And the reason I don't agree with that is because the definition of a UFO, as I mentioned before, is simply an unidentified flying object. So something flying that could be a new technology, something like that from another country. It doesn't necessarily mean alien spacecraft from another planet. So 
if General Mattis is not being briefed on UFOs, there's a problem there. He needs to be briefed on UFOs. He needs to know about unidentified flying objects that may be new technology from other countries, China, or something like that. So it wouldn't make any sense that he would not be briefed on UFOs. So this idea that, oh, there's some, you know, to me, this is very suspect. Because if this guy worked in this department with these people, he should know this. He should know that this is just sort of part of the military, right? Dealing with unidentified flying objects is part of working with the Air Force, but whatever. Anyway, for senior Pentagon officials, Elizondo discovered uh, acknowledging the very existence of UFOs was too much of a pill to swallow. And again here, I think he's talking about alien spacecraft. I don't know why he's saying UFOs. He recalled one superior who clumsily changed the subject by asking Elizondo how the Miami Dolphin football team was doing. Some individuals have a problem with this topic because it interferes with their philosophical or maybe theological belief system. In fact, Elizondo claimed one senior told him to stop investigating UFOs and asked Elizondo if he'd read his Bible lately. Elizondo asked where his boss was going with the non-sequitur before acknowledging familiarity with the good book. As per Elizondo, he was told, well then you would know that these things are demonic and we should not be pursuing them. He wasn't kidding. That's exactly how he felt. Now, this I also feel like this is a suspect thing to say because um, I've watched Hellboy. <laughs> Hellboy, the movie and the comic book, actually makes more sense than this. Because if there's demonic phenomena that is being detected by the U.S. military... I would think that people in the U.S. military would want to know about that, right? I think that the curious minds would want to know, right? Curiosity would win people over, and they would want to investigate it. This idea of like, oh, let's not talk about that, let's not investigate it, let's not do anything, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. But anyway, that's just, I mean, I would definitely, if I if I saw some kind of like actual evidence of something from hell, whoo! I, I would investigate it. I would have, although I will say that I have investigated certain things because of my writing, right? I'll be writing fiction. And so I'll be researching real-life phenomena about sort of like demonic possession or or witch, witchcraft and stuff like this. And it, it does kind of freak you out after a while. It's like, whoa, this stuff is, this stuff is dark. And uh, it does seem like some of it is real or at least some of these people who are dealing with it are genuinely like inclined to be in cahoots with the devil and stuff like this. Um, that's weird, man. Some of that stuff is just weird. Uh, I'm sure some of you guys have read up on that more than I have, but some of the stuff I've read is freaky. And I'll actually, I just mentioned the other day that I was looking into this idea that uh, John Lennon has sold his soul to the devil. I find stuff like that fascinating um, I mean, it's it's a little bit silly. I don't know how you would verify that. But, yeah, there's this idea that, that John Lennon sold his soul to the devil. It's very weird. Um, and, and there seems to be evidence for it. And people really believe it. And they look into this. And, and it seems to be at least possibly legit. I don't know how much I would believe it. But, you know, that's the thing. Like, even if you're not a religious person, you can still acknowledge that there's people out there who are willing to engage in some kind of occult-like thing or some kind of demonic thing, uh, you know, practice or, or traditional, you know, so exercise something 
in some way to try to achieve some kind of an aim. And whether it has an effect or not, I, I, I don't know. But but uh, there are people out there willing to try, at least, I think, to sell their soul to the devil. And uh, it's fascinating that there's somebody in government, at least according to this guy, who thinks that UFOs are demonic phenomena. Uh, Dr. Eric Davis, PhD, a former rocket scientist for the Air Force Research Laboratory and uh, currently a scientist at government, uh, at government contractor, the Aerospace Corporation, confirmed they objected to UFOs as being satanic. Okay, so we've got confirmation from another guy that that's true. A line of thinking is not restricted to America. Nick Pope saw similar incidents of region... Uh, trumping science or sorry religion trumping science at the uk some objections came from people in government who think the phenomena is real but demonic pope said their beliefs seems to be that studying ufos would thus give energy to attention-seeking demons which should be avoided this view comes in part from the biblical description of satan as the prince of, of the power of the air but then even secular government officials who accept the reality of UFOs get concerned by exactly what kind of action should be taken and who should take it. They can't deal with it on a legislative basis or on a military operational basis. They can't deal with it on the basis of, of a presidential policy, says Davis. So they let a finite group of engineers and scientists and, and investigators work on it together, and their findings just collect cobwebs in the, in the classified storage warehouse. Until Agent Mulder starts looking into it reveals the truth to the world uh yeah I, this is not my thing i don't really study this kind of stuff but it, it is i don't know why the new york post thought it was a, an important story to cover but i just thought it was a bit of fun i probably spent a little bit too much time on it today i don't know why this is my lead story but it's friday you know come on let's have a little fun guys um but what was really fascinating to me is this claim that in the federal government they don't study ufos because they think it's demonic phenomena i think that's really fascinating i don't believe it 100 percent because again as i said if i if i found out that there was demonic phenomena and i had the u.s military resources uh you know at my disposal i would definitely start to investigate the demonic phenomena because why wouldn't you uh so i don't know i don't know if i believe this guy. i think maybe he's a little bit of a kook uh you guys might disagree. Anyway, let me know in the comment section at the end of the show. I can't look at them right now because my beautiful wife is not with me. She is on set doing a commercial. Um, all right, so let's move on to the next story, shall we? All right, next story, next story. Okay, this is interesting. Rioter gets tw a $12 million fine and four years in prison. Here's why this is interesting. I would expect that this would be a Trump supporter on January 6th, but it isn't. You know who it is? It's one of the actual bad guys. I don't know how this happened, but one of the actual, you know, George Floyd protester Antifa types. I don't know if he's associated with any of those groups, but Black Lives Matter or anything like that. But he burned down a police station and now he's actually going to prison, which I think is absolutely fantastic 12 million dollar fine might be a little steep that seems like a little intense um four years in prison he probably won't serve that so i'm not that worried about that it does seem like a, a little bit of an intense of a of a of a he's 23 years old he looks like he's 12 he's 23 
Um, but here's the thing. I do think there needs to be some kind of severe punishment for these protesters because um, what they're doing is not protesting, right? What they're doing is rioting. Uh, and so, yeah, rioters, rioters and looters, th- there needs to be some kind of severe consequence for it. And we need to catch as many of them as we can because we need to d- deter that kind of crime, right? The, that kind of crime is not being deterred at the moment. The only people that are being deterred from protesting, from, from rioting, are conservatives because of the January 6th protest arrests. But the problem with that is that you're, you're arresting the wrong people. Like, those people were genuinely peacefully protesting. They were just walking through a building. These people are burning buildings down. And you're not arresting them. You're not pr- prosecuting them. You're not uh, punishing them in any way whatsoever. You're not deterring them from doing that. You're deterring conservatives from walking through a building. You're not deterring radical anarchists from burning buildings down. I mean, it's just stupid. So this is actually a fantastic story. Um, this is out of Breitbart. Uh, let's go ahead and read this. Uh, a 23-year-old white male will spend the next four years in prison and pay $12 million, a $12 million fine for his part in helping to burn down uh, Minneapolis police station in the aftermath of the George Floyd murder. I, 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 I'm hesitant to believe he's actually going to spend four years in prison, but let's keep reading. Okay. On the night of May 28, 2020, Dylan Shakespeare Robinson, his middle name Shakespeare, so you know his parents are probably idiots. I don't know. <laughs> That's a that's a pretty cold thing to say. I shouldn't say that, but let me tell. So I wrote a story once ages ago about a guy whose parents thought that they would be rich, like they were very ambitious people, and they thought they would be very rich when they got, you know, after they had kids, and you know, they they were you know movers and shakers in the world. They they had all this these high hopes about their lives, so they named their uh, first son Bentley. They named their second son. Uh, Kensington they named their they named all their kids like these like kind of rich people sounding names and uh, or what they perceived to be rich people sounding names which were obviously not what rich people name their kids but they thought oh this sounds like this sounds like you know like what a rich person would name their kid and so these kids grew up with all these like funny weird names I don't know why I brought that up but just because I think like I don't know why would you name your kids middle name Shakespeare you got to be a little bit of a, I mean, it's almost for sure a, like a hippie or something like that. You know what I mean? Oh, shoot. Sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Oh, no. Come on, guys. What's going on here? All right. Um, history. Let's open that up. Let's do that. Okay, good. We're back. We're back. All right. On the night of May 28, 2020, Dylan Shakespeare Robinson, 23, helped ignite a Molotov cocktail for another person to throw at the MPD 3rd Precinct headquarters. See, I see, I don't know if that is as much as bad of a crime as actually throwing the Molotov cocktail. I think that person probably should get more time. Uh, according to the Daily Mail and federal statements on the case, prosecutors said he was part of a four-man conspiracy to commit arson on the buildings and also help tear down the perimeter fencing on the site. Hopefully, they're actually going to prosecute the other guy who threw it, because I think that's actually more egregious of a crime. Nearby stores such as Wendy's, Target, Walmart, and AutoZone also suffered looting and fire damage as a result of the looting, uh, as a result of the rioting. <laughs> Surveillance cameras reportedly captured Robinson on the right, uh, on the night of the arson attack. Sorry, it's kind of far away. Maybe I should blow this up a little bit. Okay, there we go. I could read that a little bit better. Um, according to MPD disclosures, 
The federal multi-agency effort is tasked with investigating the violent incidents. On the night of May 28, 2020, Mr. Robinson chose to depart from lawful protests and instead engaged in violence and destruction. Act, acting U.S. Attorney Anders Folks uh, said about the case, the St. Paul Division of the ATF also sounded off on the matter. ATF is committed to investigating the civil unrest um, arsons of 2020 that occurred throughout the Twin Cities. This was... Uh, that was said by Jeff Reed. The sentencing sends a clear message, regardless of motivation. When somebody is intent on conducting a, a violent act that breaks federal law, you know what's really annoying about this? Right, okay, so yeah, so we're going to prosecute you, blah, 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 which is obviously what they need to do. Br- Bryce Michael Williams, Devon DeAndre, DeAndre Turner, and Brandon Michael Wolf, co-conspirators in the case, each already pled guilty to single counts of conspiracy to commit arson and face sentencing uh, on later dates. Okay, so let me look at this. Okay, so they haven't been sentenced, these other guys. And so, okay, so... So it's this guy. Uh, looks like these guys are also involved. They don't have a lot of pictures of these people. Um, okay, so as those people have, are sentenced, I suppose there'll be stories in Breitbart about them as well. But this guy's the first guy to be sentenced. Um, okay, well, I think that's great. I think that's wonderful. I don't see anything bad about this story at all. Um, I hope they continue to do this around the country. I hope it's not just this this guy or these people who burned down this one police precinct. I, I hope that every single... I, they, they really go out... Because to me... Going after the the January 6th protesters is, it's weird. I think a lot of conservatives want to say, oh, we got to be balanced about how we report these stories. And so if we have one standard for the left, we have to have the same standard for the right. Okay, I agree with you. We have to have the same standard for the left and the right. And I would have no problem if leftists casually walk through a building to protest something. I might not agree with them. I might not like what they're saying. But they have the right to protest, for sure. They have the right to be heard. I, I totally, I love that, right? I love the right to free speech. I love the right to protest. I love the right... I, I, I've often mocked protesting as being pointless, right? Because between the 1960s and 2020, protesting didn't really have much of an effect. Um, <clears throat> I remember as a kid, my mom would drag me out to these pro-life things at the corner of these uh, various streets and we'd wave signs and people would honk at us and stuff like that and i remember seeing as i grew up the legislation the the uh, abortion legislation never changed never changed and i remember thinking like protesting is pointless like you go out on the street and, you, and people honk at you and you know and I, I was from like a fairly small town it wasn't a small town it was it was a, a small city i would say uh, salem oregon it's about uh two hundred thousand people something like that and um you know, not the smallest city in, in the country, but sort of just a normal-sized city. And, uh, but nobody, like, there wasn't news coverage of it. I mean, we didn't do anything that was so significant that it, it changed anybody's minds, I don't think. So, I, I, I you know, I, I saw people protesting in the news. I always found protesting annoying. I always thought, like, people who go around protesting, it's like, look at me, look at me, this is important, this is important. And then nothing nothing would change from it. So I just thought... Okay, people like to protest. They feel like they're doing something good, but it doesn't actually affect anything. Like, if you want to affect something, you have to do something more significant than just go out and carry a sign and protest. 
And it's kind of true generally like with the left as well as the abortion thing, right? I mean, if you think about these women who go out and they do like the women's march every year, what changes from the women's march? It's like, okay, we get it. You're feminists and you're like super annoying, but like you don't even seem to have a cohesive message. Like you don't seem to even know what you want. You're just going around and like saying women are awesome. Trump sucks. Like I like what, what did the women's march ever try to do? Like ever try to change about the culture or about the, about politics. I mean, I didn't get it. I, I don't, I still don't really get protests. Black lives matter is a, is another great example of this. There are a lot of things that are changing right now because of Black Lives Matter, because of Antifa, but they're they're not they're not good things. They're crazy. They're completely crazy things. I mean, Black Lives Matter. I, I think when the Black Lives Matter first started protesting, they had no idea what the hell they wanted. They were just basically like complaining. Hold on a second here. Yeah. Okay. All right. Elijah Schaefer's writing me. Okay, and Kurt's writing me as well. Um, th- this is not helpful, Kurt. Don't write this crap. Write good, write good stuff. Write funny stuff. Write charming stuff. Don't write. He's just complaining that I'm being boring. I'm not being boring. This is good stuff. Uh, yeah, I I think that that protesting is is uh, is kind of a pointless exercise. Um, but then Black Lives Matter started saying defund the police, right? They started saying defund the police. And this is a, was, of course, not taken seriously. It wasn't even taken seriously by um, Democrat politicians. But now they're actually doing it. They're actually defunding the police because um, the left is in power and they want to, they want a virtue signal. They want uh, these Black Lives Matter protesters to feel like they've been heard, right? So they're going around and they're they're defunding the police and doing all these stupid stuff. That, but the weird thing about that is that these politicians, they know that this is going to be counterproductive. They know that this is going to damage their cities and their towns and, and the country. And they don't they they are they're doing it just because they want to be sort of like cool with the cool kids, you know? And I don't know. To to me, it's it's a bizarre thing to have actually worked, right? For a protest where they're burning down buildings, they're killing people. Uh, they're, they're going around causing all this kind of property damage for them politicians to be like, okay, yeah, you made a good point. We're going to listen to you. It's just completely insane to me. It doesn't make any sense. Th- these people shouldn't be listened to. They should be put in prison like this guy. Um, a lot of this sort of, um, what do you call it? Victim victim culture. It's become a, it's become a lucrative uh, type of business um i'm a vi- I, we were talking about this yesterday i'm a victim i'm a victim i'm a victim okay we'll make sure you get some money uh well a lot of these people s- screaming i'm a victim they're not really victims right and so this sort of victim mentality has become uh, like i was saying before some something of a science right people have really figured out exactly what they need to say exactly what they need to do in order to get money from the government or to get money from charity and but what they're doing, you know, just they're just claiming to be a victim. They're just doing so in a way that's believable enough for a large portion of the population to to give them money. But it's all a scam, you guys. It's all a friggin' scam. So I think protests have kind of become part of that. So I think protests are part of the science of scamming people into giving you victim status and and charity and government money, right? So it's part of the scam. So I think that 
I guess that's the conclusion that I would draw, is that protesting has become a part of part of uh, part of a big scam, part of a big con. So I'm not saying that protesting should be illegal. Of course, you have to have protests. But if you're rioting and you're burning places down and, and that sort of thing, you need to be arrested and you need to be put away. So, yeah, so I think this is a really great step in the right direction. All right, let us move on to the next story. All right, we've got Trump is once again... Sorry, I'm in a bad mood now because my idiot friend just told me that I was being boring. <laughs> All I can think is slapping him. All right. All right, moving on. Let's let's move on. So, Biden blames Trump for the border crisis. This is actually pretty funny. Um, let's go, go on to this story here. So, I'm just going to play you this video because this is one of the most ridiculous things. Anyway, tr- basically Biden's saying... You know, okay, well, let me, let me play the video, then I'll tell you what I think of it. And urgent action now is, is what's happening at the southern border. Is it a crisis? It is getting urgent action now. For example, a month ago, we had thousands of young kids in custody in places they shouldn't be and controlled by the Border Patrol. We have now cut that down dramatically. Hey, look, here's what happened, Craig. The failure to have a real transition... The two departments that didn't give us access to virtually anything were the immigration and the defense department. So we didn't find out they had fired a whole lot of people, that they were understaffed considerably. But in April alone, Mr. President, 170,000 people, migrants, apprehended at the border. It's a 20-year record. There are 22,000 unaccompanied children in our country right now. That's That's a record. That sounds to most folks like a crisis. Well, look, it's way down now. We've now gotten control. For example, we have, they didn't plan for, which it comes every year, this flow, whether it's 22,000 or 10,000. They didn't have the beds that were available. They didn't plan for the overflow. They didn't plan for the Department of Health and Human Services to have places to take the kid from, from the uh, border Patrol and put, put them in beds where there was security and there were people that could take care of them. So there's a significant change right now. Significant change in the circumstance for children coming to and at the border. During the campaign, you pledged to reunite hundreds of children who yes. have been separated from uh, their parents. Okay, so this is... <laughs> Did you guys notice that uh, there's a moment when Hold on a second. I got to turn this off. There's a moment when this black guy reporting actually like rolls his eyes. They didn't plan for the overflow. They didn't plan for the Department of Health and Human Services to have places to take the kid from from the uh, Border Patrol and put them in beds where they're secure. Hold on. I'm not sure. To take care of so there's a significant change right now. Significant change in circumstances. Maybe it may. They didn't have the bed. <laughs> Let's watch that again. For example, we have they didn't plan for which it comes every year, this flow, whether it's twenty two thousand There it is. <laughs> so even lefty reporters are rolling their eyes at Joe Biden's ridiculousness. Okay. I mean I can read this story to you, but I think it's better if I just talk about it. Because 
everybody knows how bad what's going on at the border is. Um, but here's the reason why this is so ridiculous, right? He's saying, "Oh, the, pro- the problem is, man, that uh, that uh, Trump, uh, Trump, the Trump administration—they fired a bunch of people, and they they obviously weren't prepared for a big surge like this. They weren't, they weren't prepared for so many people coming in. Yeah, that's because they weren't inviting people in. The Trump administration wasn't saying to people of South America, please." Come illegally into our country. We'll just let you in. We we love people who are illegal. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're a terrorist. It doesn't matter if you're running drugs into our country. It doesn't matter if you are uh, you're a criminal. Or you're a murderer. That none of that matters. Just come on over. You can just come on in. It's fine. It's fine. Don't we're going to stop building that border wall, by the way. So you can just slip right on around it. Um. Yeah. So all these people in South America, Central America, they heard this that that uh, Biden was going to be elected and, and Biden was saying all this stuff about come on in, come on in. And so there's a big surge. And uh, and yeah, they, they probably weren't prepared for it because Trump had fixed the immigration problem, you moron. If Trump has fixed the immigration problem and and there's not... Oh, hello, buddy. You want to come up and say hi to the people? Um, if Trump's fixed the immigration problem and there's no... There, there are no illegal immigrants coming in. Well, yeah, you can fire some of the people that work there because, not fire, but you can lay them off because you don't need them. You don't need such a, a massive amount of people there uh, trying to process these illegal immigrants if there aren't any illegal immigrants to process, right? So certainly people are going to get laid off. So yeah, I imagine that they weren't prepared for it, but it's not Trump's fault. Trump had actually fixed the immigration problem. You screwed it all up, dude. It's, it's like, I don't know. I'm trying to come up with a good analogy here. <laughs> it, it's as if you you've you've uh, you shut down a prison because you're so good at keeping crime down in your city as mayor or as the governor of a state or something like that. You've gotten crime down so low that you don't need some of these prisons, so you close them down. Whatever you lay off some staff, and you just don't need the prison system as much because you don't have as much crime because you've done such a good job governing, right? And then somebody else comes in and. Suddenly there's tons of crime and people are being prosecuted and they need to go to prison and there's no prison. They're like, oh, why did this other this other guy shut down all the prisons? Yeah, well, it's because he, he shut down all the crime. This is exactly what's going on here. Aston, come on, man. Come on, man. I don't, I don't know. He, he's, he's saying hi, I guess. All right, come on. You're, you're a little too distracting. You're a little too distracting, buddy. All right. Okay, you can hang out, I guess. All right, we're gonna just do this with a cat <laughs> in the in the in the in the the screen. But um, yeah, so this is obviously ridiculous. This is like laughable, right, Aston? No, <laughs> he's not. He's not responding. It's it's just it's ridiculous. Uh, I mean, he, but here's the problem with this kind of this kind of lie, this kind of political lie. So I wouldn't cons- I wouldn't consider this like a conspiracy theory type thing. Or maybe I would. I don't know. It depends on how. How much this is reported by CNN and MSNBC and stuff like that. All right, that's enough of that. Oh, all right, ready? All right. So, um, but yeah, this is this is kind of how this kind of conspiracy theory stuff gets started. Um, the left will say somebody like Biden will say, "Oh, what's really going on is uh, is that Trump uh, uh, destroyed the the uh, immigration infrastructure." Or something like that, right? 
And then all the like CNN, MSNBC, all these people go, yeah, that's what happened. That's what happened. And they keep telling this to their uh, viewers. And then all Democrats suddenly believe it. They're going on Twitter saying, ha, 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 ha. You think this is Biden's fault. You're an idiot because you don't know because you didn't watch Rachel Maddow today. So you're not aware. This is all Trump's fault. Right. And what's really weird is that like the, the keyboard warriors on on Twitter from the left, they're very, very smug. I, I often read leftist tweets and I just laugh because these people are so uninformed, but they're so damn confident <laughs> about all these moronic ideas they have. But it starts with stuff like this. It starts with somebody like Biden just presenting this idiotic position as if this is if the, as if this makes sense right um yeah trump probably left you a smaller number of people working uh doing immigration enforcement because he had reduced illegal immigration so much that they didn't need those people that's my guess i don't know maybe i don't even know if it's true i don't have the numbers so i don't know he might just be straight up lying there might be just as many people working at immigration enforcement as was there during the obama administration i don't know right Biden could just be straight up lying, using this as an excuse. I think it's a very, very hard topic for for Biden to to, to discuss because he's done such a bad job. I mean, it, it's it is genuinely a crisis. You have reporters here who are covering it, who are obviously friendly with Biden, and even they are rolling their eyes. So I, I don't know how he's going to deal with this. I, I honestly don't even really know how any leftist voter or i don't really understand why democrats are even taking biden seriously at this point when he says the guy can barely speak in fact i as i was watching that video i watched quite a bit of that interview and i thought i want to do a mr reagan video on this i'm going to react to everything biden says because the thing is the man not only is he lying and making up excuses and stuff like that but he just seems so feeble and so weak and they used to talk about trump as being not presidential because he was a bit crass well, Biden may not be as crass as Donald Trump. He may not be as uh, politically incorrect, let's say. But he he is, I think, I think Biden is far less presidential than Donald Trump because Biden can barely even hold himself together during an interview. You know what I mean? Like, I, it, it almost seems like he's going to say, you know what, it's, it's my nap time. I got to go or or the nurse needs to feed me or something like that. You know what I mean? He he seems not and look, I don't want to be cruel to people in nursing homes because, you know, my grand grandmother was in a nursing home and and uh, she was, you know, she had Alzheimer's. She was pretty much uh he's pretty feeble there at the end. In fact, she was actually quite uh quite aggressive. I think she tried to escape a few t- <laughs> a few times from the hospital, not knowing quite where she was. Uh uh so she was a bit difficult to handle. Um uh, but uh, yeah, you know, older people they get feeble. They, you know, it's nothing to make fun of. It's nothing to to uh, to mock or to to ridicule or to to even to criticize. It's just something that happens when people get old, and we're all going to get old one day. So I don't want to ridicule Biden for getting old, um, but I do not. I don't really understand how the left can look at somebody like that in that kind of a state and think that's our president. I mean, you cannot be proud of a president who who doesn't appear to be able to function very well. And there's something weird about Biden's face. Have you guys noticed? He looks very, almost like emaciated, like there's something wrong with him. Uh, and I'm not sure what this is, but I somebody, t- I think I think it might have been Valeria. I think Valeria mentioned this. There are people who apparently think, from what I understand, from what I hear, that he's injecting Botox 
to make himself look less all, less wrinkly. But like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, why why would you try to make yourself look younger? Like, I think looking old can be very distinguished. There's no reason to do that. So either he's using Botox, or he's getting so old that he's like he's starting to look like he's dying. Like, there's something wrong with his face, you guys. Um, you know, have a look at him. He just he's kind of got this empty stare, right? Like his brain's not there anymore, and and there's something wrong with him physically. I think. But uh, in fact, this is a good. This is a good example of that, right? This is the kind of thing you know. I'm, I'm. Like, look at that blank stare, and then look how like how look like how smooth his skin is like here. It's like weird, right? I mean, he's all wrinkly here, and he doesn't have the crow's feet that you'd expect an old man to have. So I think he must be getting Botox. Either that, or he's so old that there's something something wrong with him. I I, I don't know. He looks he looks like he's gonna die soon. That's what I think. I mean, it's 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 sad. Even though I don't agree with him, I don't like him. I think he's a criminal. Uh, we need to have a president who looks healthy, right? Not Kamala Harris, please. All right, well, let's move on to the next story. This one, let's see here. Um, yeah, so this this one's a little bit weird. Um, because, well, it's okay. So this this story is called "Biden Mask Fetish Drives Skepticism of Vaccines," right? Now, so this is something that we've kind of speculated on, and Tucker Carlson touches on this a lot, this idea that um, Biden wearing the mask all the time is going to confuse people, right? People think they need a mask after they've been vaccinated now because Biden keeps wearing a mask all the time. And according to this doctor, this is very likely, right, that people are no longer trusting the vaccine. So it's even worse than people thinking you need to wear a mask after the vaccine. It's like, if you got to wear a mask after the vaccine, does the vaccine even work, right? So this is driving skepticism, according to this guy. Um, so for, former coronavirus testing czar, Dr. Brett Gir, Girwa, I don't know how to pronounce his name, joined America's newsroom Friday to argue that President Biden's COVID-19 response is sending mixed messages to Americans on their effectiveness of the vaccine. Dr. Brett Girwa, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Well, let's, I haven't actually played this, so I don't know how, I guess it's just one minute. Let's go ahead and play it. Dr. Brett Gerrard was the Trump administration coronavirus testing czar and a former assistant secretary of health and human services. Yesterday, sir, there was um, this event down in Georgia that President Biden went to. And you know, I, I said on the night of the speech, if you are indoors and you are with other vaccinated people, as I understand it, the guidelines say you don't have to wear a mask. Then yesterday down in Georgia, if I think we could have a take a look at this. You know, he can't find his mask after his speech, but he's outside. Does he really need it? And then they had this big car rally yesterday, too. Um, instead of being people being able to be out and about, I mean, is this hurting our ability to get people to take the vaccine? Well, thanks for having me on. And, and I do think there's so many mixed messages out there. And uh, the data are really clear. If you're vaccinated and the people around you are vaccinated, your chances of dying of COVID are much less than dying of just a car crash going out in the street or normal daily activities. So if you're around vaccinated people, you should not wear a mask. Um, you're very, very safe. If you're outdoors, you could always physically distance and be outdoors without a mask around other people. We know the transmission is very low. So I think this is very confusing and it's causing people to not have faith in the vaccine. It's exactly 
exactly the opposite of what we want. Yeah, at some point you could almost uh, say that they were anti-vax. Well, well, you know, there is no such thing as no risk. And I think the CDC is approaching this as we have to have zero risk. And we don't live our lives like that. Um, if you're vaccinated and other people are vaccinated, you know, the chances of getting COVID are 0.008%. Right. And the chances of dying is 0.00001%, much less than other activities. So you are... I'm not actually even sure those numbers are right. And the reason I say that is because um, I think they're they're calculating these risks in, in terms of guessing, right? Um, and the reason that they're doing that is because there are no actual cases around the entire world, excuse me, of casual interactions outdoors infecting anyone. Right. So if you're walking down the street and you pass somebody who's got COVID and they cough, right, there is this assumption that, okay, yeah, you could probably catch COVID, right? I think there's a guess that you could do it. But there's no documented cases of that happening anywhere, ever. I know that sounds like uh, like exaggeration, but it isn't. I went, I researched this. I'm doing, a, I did a video on it. I'm posting it soon on some of these statistics. And yeah, there's there's just no evidence of this at all. So getting COVID outdoors from, say, like going on a hike or something like that is essentially impossible. Right? It's something that we haven't been able to see uh, as a phenomenon existing. So we're not even aware that it's even possible. And then this idea of getting sick after you've been vaccinated, that's where you have these percentages that come in that we do know that people have gotten sick after having been vaccinated. So but it's incredibly small percentage of people. And so, but the idea of, <laughs> the idea of catching COVID outdoors around other people who've also been vaccinated and you've been vaccinated, I don't even understand how there's even, I don't even understand how he's putting a percentage on it. Shouldn't that be 0. 0.00000? I mean, there's, there's no chance, right? I mean, if you're, look, if you're a healthy person and I'm going to, I'm just going to say, this is a fact. All right. This is a fact. If you're a healthy person and you don't have COVID and you are spending time with a bunch of other people who don't have COVID, uh, I know this might be controversial. YouTube might not like this, but you can't catch COVID. Okay, You can't catch an illness that you don't have access to, right? That you're not around. You're, you don't encounter the illness. You won't catch the illness. It's not possible for a vi viral illness. So... I mean, yeah, it doesn't matter if you have a mask or if people are vaccinated or if you're inside or outside. If you're around people who don't have COVID, you're not going to catch COVID. And I think the big problem that we have is that uh, there's this idea, well, people might have COVID and they don't know it. Or, you know, there might be people around you that just think they have a cold, but really they have COVID, something like that. And that's why you need to wear a mask. And that's why you need to get vaccinated. So you got to have all this protection. But um, from all the research that I've done, um, and looking at all the different countries and the measures that they've taken and how severe they have, you know, the severity of the cases of COVID versus the, you know, the, the countries that have had it bad versus the countries that have had it good. I can't seem to see any kind of pattern. It's freaking weird, you guys. Like, I've seen some countries who have enacted a lot of um, strict lockdowns, like the UK, for instance. And they haven't seemed to benefit benefited at all from it, right? A lot of these, a lot of these, um, the measures, the strict measures that they're taking, 
I think that uh, the UK, I believe, is the sixth most strict country in the world in terms of uh, anti-COVID measures, right? Co- measures to combat COVID. And in January, they were they were having they had the highest percentage of deaths in the world. Um, in total, I think it's Czechoslovakia, uh, the Czech Republic. Czech Republic also enacted some of the some of the most severe um, restrictions very early on, um, and they're one of the they are the worst hit country on earth. Uh, and it's weird. It's it's like, and of course, there are some places that didn't put in any measures, and they were hit pretty hard. But here's the thing: there were a lot of countries that, and and some countries put restrictive measures in, and then they they fared very well. But it it doesn't like sometimes you do find countries that really don't put in many restrictions, and then they don't seem to have a COVID problem. And you have other countries that put in all these restrictions, and they have a really severe COVID problem. So it looks like most of the things that most of the um, techniques that have been used to combat COVID have been totally ineffective, right? And I think that that is the biggest lesson we need to take from the pandemic is that most of the thinking on this has been wrong. Um, And I'm not really sure what measures need to be taken in order to combat a pandemic like this, Uh, you know, something that is an airborne virus that that you know, you can get infected by, that's very dangerous. How do you combat such a thing when all of the methods that they believe work clearly don't? Um, the only country that appears to have gotten it right is, um, what was it going uh, Taiwan. Taiwan? Yeah, Taiwan. And Taiwan doesn't seem to have done that much, you know, doesn't, doesn't seem to have uh, Im- implemented too harsh of measures, and the measures they did implement weren't that different from from what the other countries did. So I think that a lot of researchers are going to be studying what Taiwan did for many years to come and to try to identify what they did differently uh, than the other countries. But there's, they obviously did something right, but it's not clear what that thing is. Like You'll read different articles that will say different things like, well, the reason that they did so well is because they did this, this, and this. Yeah, but that this other country did the same things, and they just, like, everybody's dead now. It's weird, man. You know how many people died in Taiwan? Twelve. Twelve. I think their country is like 24 million people. Twelve people died. Bizarre, guys. Bizarre. And they didn't. They did not lock anybody down. They didn't lock down any businesses. They didn't lock anybody in their homes. They never quarantined. As far as I know, I think you had to quarantine if you traveled into the country from elsewhere, um, or or if you tested positive. I think that was, it. or if you were in contact with somebody who tested positive. I think they did that. Um. So there were measures, but like there's the same measures that other countries took, and lots of other places got hit far worse. I don't know. It's a weird thing, man. COVID was is so weird. People talk about it all intelligently, like they know what they're talking about on these shows, and they really don't. They really don't. But um, obviously, being vaccinated around other people that are vaccinated outside. I mean, wearing a mask is just insane. But there, there's this bizarre idea on the left about setting a good example. I just watched a documentary about um, recycling. And recycling is no longer a viable way to to get rid of human waste, like uh, human refuse, like our, our garbage. It's not, it's not, uh, it doesn't really help anything anymore. It used to. It used to be something that we could... That, that had some some degree of benefit it, it re- reduced human waste to some degree but it's no longer it's no longer a practical way to um, to discard our rubbish um, 
and, you know, you might as well just throw your stuff away in the garbage can. I mean, really. I mean, you guys should look into it. It's pretty crazy. Like, recycling does nothing. It does nothing. It does not help the environment. It doesn't do anything. And um, so I'm watching this documentary, and people are all frustrated about this. And if you listen to the government guidance on recycling, they still have this guidance that's like, oh, yeah, recycling's really good. Everybody should recycle. And when you ask the experts about why this is, they'll say, well, the government seems to think for some reason. So, like, okay. We we tend to put in all these environmental legislation, all this environmental legislation. But America actually doesn't produce that much garbage. I mean, we do produce a lot of garbage, but we take care of it very well. There is this argument that we produce all this garbage that goes into the oceans, right? You've you've heard this many many times, like the great, you know, island of trash in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, right? I forget what they call it. Um, but actually, we produce almost none of that. The the ninety percent of the trash in the oceans that we're talking about, all oh, this terrible terrible waste, this terrible terrible uh, littering, you know, all, you know, pollution all over the oceans, it almost all comes from Asia and Africa, right? These these uh, poorer countries, like especially China, that'll just dump trash into the ocean. Um, we don't do that in America, right? We have landfills. We we have fairly uh, high tech ways of disposing of garbage, but we still need to produce, you know, put put in all these very strict regulations. Like you, for a while in in LA, we couldn't have straws. There's a lot of restaurants that still don't give you a, a plastic straw because there, there was a stupid freaking viral video about a, a turtle that got a straw up its nose. So now none of us are allowed to have straws. I mean, it's, I mean, it's unbelievably stupid. These people are so stupid. But anyway, um, and then you have all these plastic bag bans. Oh, you're not allowed to have plastic bags. You're not allowed to have plastic bags because they end up in the ocean. They end up in the ocean. But they don't actually. None of the... None of the trash in the ocean is grocery bags from America. But we still have to have these grocery bag bans. Why? Well, because Democrats feel good about passing stupid environmentalist legislation. But again, when you ask them, why do we have to do this? Despite the fact that America is not the country that's polluting all of this. It's all like China and Africa and these places. They will tell you, and I'm not kidding, well, we have to set a good example. Okay, we have to set a good example. That's great. That's wonderful. We're setting a good example. Here's the problem with that. Nobody cares. There is no country in the world that looks at America doing, you know, uh, sustainably doing whatever we're doing, all this environmental legislation, and going, oh, you know what? America is so amazing. We need to do what America's doing. No. These countries act in their best interests. If it's cheaper for them to pollute the world, they will pollute the world because they're irresponsible. If you want them to behave in a certain way, you've got to negotiate with them uh you know with like trade deals stuff like that you know what trump used to do we used to say oh well we don't like your humanitarian crap in china so we're going to uh you know we're maybe going to put sanctions on you something like that if you think that china's polluting too much and destroying the world you deal with them you know multilaterally you talk to all your other countries you say okay we're all gonna put sanctions on china everybody agree okay yeah let's do that you know, whatever, you put pressure on the country to sort themselves out if, if they're destroying your country through pollution, something like that. There's different ways to deal with that. You don't go ahead and say, okay, China, you just do whatever you want, but look at us. We're being really clean. Look at us making our bed. You should make your bed too. You, you know what China's going to do? They're going to go, ha, okay, go for it. They don't care. They don't care. The good example argument is the dumbest thing I've ever heard come out of the left, and Everything that comes out of the left is super dumb. But that's one of the stupidest things. Because 
Nobody. Ca- in fact, as as much as we limit ourselves and we um, create new expenses for America that aren't necessary, the more other countries are thrilled by that because other countries will say, oh, great, you're imposing regulations on yourselves that we don't impose on ourselves. Therefore, we're at a competitive advantage. Go for it, America. Yeah, Paris Climate Accords. Go for it. Whatever it is that we do that makes it harder for us to compete internationally is good for other countries. So if if we're doing something that you know uh, helps the environment, supposedly, which probably doesn't, and, but it hurts us economically, other countries will be all on board. And if we pull out of that, other countries will say, oh, America doesn't care about the environment. Oh, we need to like pressure them. We need to make them feel guilty about this. Because they, not because they care about the environment, but because they want that competitive advantage. Democrats are just so stupid. Okay. Last story. Last story. Let's get into it. This is the, oh, sorry. Hold up. All right, last story, last story. This is a follow-up on exactly what happened with uh, yesterday with Tim Scott. You guys remember Tim Scott? He was being called Uncle Tim, right, which is a play on the term Uncle Tom. Basically, everybody's saying that he's a traitor to black people. Uh, so this, uh, this article I've entitled, MSNBC says Tim Scott doesn't know what racism is. Um, okay, so let's go ahead and watch this clip of the morons at MSNBC Basically saying it's okay to call Tim Scott an Uncle Tim because he doesn't know what racism is. What a bunch of morons. Okay, let me turn the audio. What do you think about the fact that that was trending last night? And do you find it as problematic as I did? Yeah, I definitely find it problematic, but I mean, I think it's also one of those things where on social media, the uh, internal conversations that many black people have about Tim Scott and the Republican Party have now made their way to the public discourse. I mean, let's be clear. Looking at Tim Scott's response, we know that he's carrying the water not just for the Republican Party and his two other black colleagues, but he did so under the Trump administration. So that's where the lack of respect comes from. When he talks about growing up in a one-bedroom house, ask yourself, why did you grow up in a one-bedroom house? Because your party doesn't believe in equality. Ask yourself why your grandfather didn't know how to read. It's because your party actually defunds education. Ask yourself why it is that you went to failing schools. It's because your party doesn't value education, especially for black youth, especially for people in the South. So the fact that Tim Scott tried to make it an individual conversation when it should be a larger institutional problem that his party is part of, and one of the main reasons why we have such inequity, uh, explains why this Uncle Tim hashtag was trending and explains the frustration also that many Democratic Christians had, where he's trying to weaponize Christianity in a way that lots of Democratic Christians were like, what are you talking about? Like, we can actually believe in you know Christ or whatever the, the right. indoctrination is without actually uh, having policies that, that destroy not just our country, but so many people across the, across the globe. Did she just call Christianity indoctrination? <laughs> Not only did she call Christianity indoctrination, but she actually used the word flustration. This word has always cracked me up. I don't understand why black people say this. Okay, so it's quite popular amongst black people, like within black communities, for people to use the word um, axe instead of ask. Uh, ambulance instead of ambulance and frustration instead of frustration. 
And you might say, okay, well, that's fine. It's just like a cultural uh, uh, thing. You know, it's a cultural thing. But the problem with it is that, okay, people need to tell. If, if you say the word wrong, people need to tell you you're saying this wrong. Because here's the thing. Ambulance, axe, frustration, words like these aren't just being mispronounced. They're, mis- they're being mispronounced in the same way that a, a young child would mispronounce the words, right? The, the pronunciation of, of certain words is difficult for children, okay? And when you're like three or four years old and you're kind of like learning to speak, a lot of kids will say certain words wrong. And I think frustration is one of those kind of words where you'll say frustration instead of frustration. And she's, she's, but she's like a grown woman and she's still saying frustration. And I, I feel like it just makes her look stupid, right? She's obviously trying very hard to sound like an intelligent person, even though she's saying that Christianity is indoctrination. Um, but she just sounds like an idiot. Ah, it, and it's, it's, it's tough for me to listen to that kind of stuff because all she'd need to do is just adjust the way she pronounces a, a particular word and she doesn't sound so stupid. Um, but even if she doesn't speak in a way that sounds stupid, what she's saying is moronic. She's saying that because Democrats blame conservatives for a bunch of stuff, if you're a conservative, it's okay, and, and you're black, it's okay if leftists call you an Uncle Tom, right? That's okay because we think Republicans are wrong on policy. What the hell are you talking about, lady? I mean... So first of all, first of all, her position on public schools is completely ridiculous. She's saying Republicans don't want to fund schools and therefore we don't care about black people. No, Re- Republicans want to implement a voucher system. We want to privatize schools. This will help the black community. Just because you haven't heard about that, that doesn't mean that it's not there, that it doesn't exist, right? We know we have a strategy to help black people get better educated. Just because you're too uneducated to know about that, you're too ignorant to understand that, that doesn't mean that white people don't care about black people being educated. Republicans, or sorry, conservatives, um, Republicans, conservatives, we have plans that we believe can be very effective to help uneducated people, poor people of every race, right? Uh, We have these different plans in place. The problem with the Democrats, or the problem that we have in America with Democrats, is that they uh, are less interested in solutions that work and more interested in rhetoric that is compelling, right? So they will say, well, um, Republicans are saying they want to privatize everything, but that's because they're greedy. Democrats just want to put, you know, take money from taxes and pump it into the school system. And we want to support our teachers who are all heroes, which is absolute bullcrap, by the way. But they know that this concept of teachers as heroes is emotionally effective. They know people like to hear that. They know that people like to hear, oh, we're pumping money into something. Like, that That sounds like you care. Uh, and so they've gotten away with this for a long time, just basically controlling the narrative, saying things that are absolutely untrue, accusing Republicans of not caring about something, just ignoring our plans. Here's the pro- like it's very weird like the democrats will they they won't even acknowledge that we have plans they'll just say oh well that's just that's we don't agree with that therefore we're just going to pretend that republicans aren't serious they don't actually have any plans because they don't agree with our plans 
and and they they go because they don't have any plans to combat this problem they don't they don't care about you they don't care about you and that's the rhetoric and we for some reason conservatives are really really bad at responding to this we 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 don't have messaging that's um that reaches their audience and i think that would actually be ameliorated by social media and it was being ameliorated by social media up into 2016 after 2016 social media cut us off we're no longer allowed to talk to leftists if you're a leftist you won't get notified of any conservative political content so you'll never hear it and so women like this end up being ignorant of conservative ideas uh because she never hears about conservative ideas if i talk to her on a show about the concept of privatization of schools and how that would help the black community she would have no idea how to respond to that because I, I think probably she's never even heard of that, right? So she's sitting here saying, well, Republicans don't want to pump money into schools. Yeah, because that doesn't work. We've been doing that for decades. We, you can see the graph, right? There's, there's this famous graph of all the money that's being pumped into public schools and the performance of students, right? The performance of students always stays the same, even though the money always goes up. So just pumping money into public schools isn't working. You need to have n- new, better solutions, Right, and the best solution I think is capitalism. Force the schools to compete with each other for the students. If you do that, schools will have to improve. They'll have to improve. So privatization of schools is uh, has always been my solution. And to say, oh well, the Republicans disagree with us on a political issue, therefore you can call this guy an Uncle Tom. That's just absolute crap, racist thinking. It is amazing to me how racist the left is. Even even black people on the left are kind of racist against black people. And I, I was mentioning this yesterday, like there's this, what they call soft racism of low expectations, right? Well, we know black people can't perform as well as white people. And therefore we have to give them an edge, but Republicans don't think like that. And I don't even think it's soft racism. I think it's just straight up racism. Like you have to hold everybody to the same standard. That's, that's what equality is. That's looking at everybody and treating them all equally. That's respecting somebody as being as capable as somebody else, saying, I'm going to hold you to the same standards. Now, not everybody's the same. Not every white person's the same. Not every black person's the same, like even within their own individual groups. And certainly we're not the same uh, when you mix those groups up. We, we all have differences. Some, some you know, occasionally find an Asian who isn't good at math, shocker, but is an, an amazing artist. Sometimes you find uh, black people who don't fit stereotypes of black people, but they they transcend what, you know, the various expectations are even within their own culture. Um, white people, same thing. They don't, people don't all fit into the mold of their race. So you got to look at people as individuals. You got to say, uh, uh, you know, this person may not be able to compete in this, but he can compete in that because he's awesome at it. Right. White, black or Asian or Hispanic or whatever it is. And that's how, that's why the Republican ideas about how to do things all work better because we recognize that you can't help black people as a monolith. Because they're not a monolith. They're a diverse group of human beings. You have to look at them as human beings. And the thing is, I don't think that the Democrat Party implements policies that, that consider blacks as human beings. They, they consider blacks as a sort of monolith, as somebody who we have to treat differently, like we treat the mentally handicapped, like we treat children, like we treat animals, right? We hold these, these people and these creatures to a different standard because you know, they obviously can't perform at the same level as 
most of society. And so to treat black people in the same way to me is as racist as you can possibly be. So this woman is more racist against black people than anyone probably I imagine she's ever criticized in her entire life. All right, that is it for the news, ladies and gentlemen. Please let me know what you have to say, and I will read about it, uh, and I will mention your name on this show. All right, so we do have a couple of super chats here. I think I read the first one already. Second one is from Christopher Schlufer. Ah! <laughs> Christopher Schlufer. Chris Schloof. Okay, this guy, we call him Schloof. He's an old friend of mine. He's a, he's a good buddy of my, my brother's. Uh, up there in Oregon, uh, that's pretty funny. I haven't I haven't talked to him in a while. Uh, we 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 send messages occasionally on the phone. Let's see here, Chris. What you got to say for being you and making me laugh while driving down the road? Well, thanks, man. That's <laughs> that's Chris Schloof, everybody. Awesome guy. I want Chris to have his own reality show because he's got a crazy life. Um, but he's a good dude uh, up there in Oregon. Say hi to my brother for me, Chris. Uh, good to hear from you. Let's see here. We got another super chat, I think, from Ditto Head. He says, we appreciate you. Now say moose and squirrel. Moose and squirrel. I think I do a better Russian accent than Valeria. I should. So let me read some of these. Frank James says, I dare say the solution involves security, education, and the economy. Schools should at least start out with their same tools. Okay, let me read that in English so I can understand it. <laughs> I dare say the solution involves security, education, and economy. Schools should at least start out with the same tools. No, I don't think that they should start out with the same tools. I don't think they should start out with the same tools. And here's why I disagree with you, Frank. Uh, because capitalism is all about innovation and invention, right? It's all about uh, multiple approaches to the same thing. And so if you have 10 different schools with 10 different approaches, then one of those schools is going to emerge victorious, and so some schools may start out with fewer resources or more or, or different resources. And I think that's a very good thing. My brother had dyslexia. So here's the reason I'm so into education. I don't think I went to a particularly good high school. I, w I think I went to a good high school. I don't think I went to a really good high school. Um, Jesus is God says, I've been enjoying the talk while folding laundry. Okay, <laughs> that's, that's good. Uh, uh, that's a good way to listen to my show is to get some, some menial labor done and, uh, and listen to the show. But I'll say, so I didn't think I went to the best high school, but I had a, a pretty high IQ. That sounds really uh, arrogant, but I, you know, this is why, right? This is why I, I found it problematic. I had a fairly high IQ. There were, I was in all the AP classes, or at least several, most of them, and it wasn't challenging to me. It wasn't interesting to me. There was nothing particularly good about my high school, and I recognized it at the time. At the time I was in high school, I recognized that my teachers weren't that good. And I thought, this is not really fair to me. It's not really fair to me that I, I have an ability to attain a very high level of education, but I can't attain that because my teachers aren't good teachers. Um, and it was really frustrating. It was really frustrating. And I knew that had I gone to a much better school, I would be able to go to a much better university. And I would, at the time, I actually thought universities were good, right? You know, that was, this was back in the 90s, right? When we still respected universities, stuff like that. And, uh, so even at that time, I thought there needs to be a better system to let kids go to schools that are more appropriate for them. Uh, because I, my public school was basically, I mean, there is something great about American public school, really, uh, in that I don't, I, I can't explain. There's something just unique about the experience of going to public school in America. 
I've talked to a lot of people internationally about this, and uh, yeah, it's just a it's just a very unique experience. It's like when you're a kid watching school watching TV shows and movies about high school, and then you get into high school, you notice yeah, there are some things that they get right, and there's some things that they get wrong, but in general, they're trying to express um, an experience in those movies and TV shows that you can perceive internationally. But you'll never really get to experience yourself unless you go to school here in America. And, you know, we got that opportunity. And that's and it's interesting. It's a fascinating and interesting experience and everything like that. But it's not an optimal way to educate our youth. Um, having schools with, you know, just basically like this blanket of different subjects and, you know, football and art and science all being sort of given similar weight. I mean, it just it doesn't really work that well, I don't think. I mean... Here, here's everybody's like, oh, you you can't shut down the music programs. You can't shut down the music programs. Well, you could, you could in some schools, I think. And if you wanted your kid to, to do music, send this to them to another school. Kurt says, give us your prediction to how long it will take to declare Biden incompetent and then Harris the new puppet chief. No, I'm talking about something else. This is my buddy Kurt. <laughs> this is my best friend who lives in Hawaii. Kurt has actually an interesting story about his public school experience because he went to school uh, in Hawaii. You know, that's where he grew up. And he took me to his school because I wanted to see kind of where he grew up and different. And what was what was really fascinating to me. This is really fascinating. His lockers were all outdoors. The hallways between classes were all outdoors. You had you didn't have one big school. You had a bunch of like little buildings that you would go from classroom to classroom. And all the all everything was outside because it's Hawaii, right? I mean, it rains a lot in Hawaii, but it's always nice and warm, and you know so fascinating fascinating experience totally different than the experience you would get on the mainland right you know where where i went to school in oregon um so all that's interesting all that i think is interesting and fascinating but you need to figure out the most optimal way to teach your students uh in, in any society and for me it didn't make sense like the, the way school system is now it's just not optimized even remotely and the teachers' unions are the biggest problem because you can't fire bad teachers. Teachers' unions are, they, they all have tenure. Teachers get tenure, which means that they are disincentivized to be good teachers. They're just incentivized to show up to work. And that to me is terrible. You have to pay people for merit if you want to get a, a, a good result for, out of them. And so teachers need to be paid via merit. The other thing that I have a big problem with is, so my brother was dyslexic when I was a kid and he could not read. I mean, he couldn't read. He, he could read, he knew how to read, but he wasn't good at it. And the public schools couldn't teach him. They, they didn't have the training. They didn't have the, the techniques. They had no idea how to do it. So my mother would drive my brother an hour to school in the mornings. She would stay in Portland for however many hours he was in school. And then she would drive him back. And she made this, she quit her job to do that. And she made a massive sacrifice in her life, you know, with her time and money. It was very expensive to send him to the school. And it was pretty far away. And, you know, traffic sometimes made it longer than an hour. And it was just a headache for my mother. And she couldn't work. And, you know, the, the, the family made less money. But this was a sacrifice that, that my parents decided they were willing to make because they wanted my brother to learn to read. So he went to this dyslexic school. It's a very special school. It was great. He did learn to read. Now he's competent at reading, you know. He's not the best. He avoids it when he can, <laughs> but he can do it. And I, that got me to th thinking because I knew a lot of dyslexic kids in Salem where I grew up. 
And I thought, well, this is kind of sad because my brother learned to read. He went to this special school to do it. We had the money to do it. We had the resources to do it. We had the time to do it. We were willing to make the sacrifice to do it. But all these other families, they may not have that luxury, right? They may not have the money. They may not have the time. They may not be willing to make that sacrifice. And so you had hundreds of kids in my hometown who never was really were really able to learn to read because they were so dyslexic. And it's like, well, what if you had a private organization that actually um, could just produce, you know, build these dyslexic schools for dyslexic kids, you know, all over the place, and then and then the government, federal government, paid for it. Well, then you would have a whole generation of kids that could all learn to read, even if they have these learning disabilities. And then you could have schools that were tailored toward more toward people that were great at sports. You could have schools that were tailored more toward people who were great at science, more more tailored toward people who were more artistically inclined. You could have all these kind of different schools that brought out whatever it was in in a student, you know, whatever the ap- natural aptitudes were in, in these students around the, the country. And you could find different teaching techniques that were actually um, better suited to people who maybe were more creative or maybe who were more high IQ or whatever it was. Um, but the teachers union just rails against this over and over and over again. And I didn't mean to, for this to be a rant about me talking about the privatization of schools, but it drives me nuts that the Democrats basically say that Republicans don't care about anybody. They don't care about black people. They don't care about poor people. They don't care about students. They don't care about children. They don't care about anybody. They just are greedy a-holes that want to be rich or country bumpkins who are morons or whatever it is they think. And they just ignore the plans that we actually have and the ideas that we actually have, they just ignore it or they say, well, that's just stupid. And then they're like, what we really need to do is just pump more money into the schools. That does that, that will work, you know, even though it hasn't for decades. Um, all right. I will stop talking now. <laughs> um, I will answer Kurt's question. Give me your prediction on how long it'll take to declare Biden incompetent. And then for Harris to, you know, I think they're going to keep Biden in as long as they can. Because they don't really want somebody who's going to contradict them. The people pulling Biden's strings, they like that he is just a malleable piece of Play-Doh. They, they love that he's incompetent because he can't stand up against them. Uh, you know, I reported the other day that he he was doing a he was doing a press conference and he answered questions that he thought he wasn't supposed to. And he said, oh, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm answering too many questions. Well, who's going to get you in trouble, Joe Biden? You're the freaking president of the United States. You can't get in trouble. You tell other people they're in trouble. They don't tell you you're in trouble. I mean, what kind of president says, oh, I better do this. I'm going to get in trouble. A freaking goon. All right, guys. That's it for me. Happy Friday. I hope you guys have an awesome weekend. I know I will because I'm going to be making Mr. Reagan videos all weekend. <laughs> i got to catch up a lot of my work, so I'm going to keep putting that stuff out. I'm going to try to figure out a system where I can do these videos. I can do Mr. Reagan videos. I can pump out this stuff, and I can still have time to write the novel that I'm trying to write and write the nonfiction book and get the uh, AOC and the Squad cartoon done and do all the little side projects I want to do as well as occasionally travel because that is a high priority for me. So uh, I'm going to see Kurt in a few months over in Hawaii. I think we're going to spend um, an entire month out there, which will be kind of fun. Uh, and then uh, we're, we're also going to Vegas. I'm going to run into my buddy Elijah Schaefer out there and, uh, and his beautiful wife. And we're going to hang out with uh, a lot of our friends out there. Um, 
So that's going to be cool. I, I don't remember when that's happening, but Valeria knows, but she's not here, so I can't ask her. All right, so I'm going to get a snack because I haven't eaten yet today. And you guys have an awesome weekend, and I will see you guys on Monday. See, I got that right. I didn't say tomorrow. <laughs> All right. Good night. Well, that's pretty good.